Wild Review, Volume 1, Episode 5, Wildlife Care While the World is Upended. Uh, my plan for this podcast was changed. Um, not last minute, but kind of last minute. By uh, World Events. Uh the novel coronavirus that is sweeping the planet right now and uh, making a lot of people sick and um, killing a lot of people as well has uh, changed the landscape of just our daily lives uh, really fast and uh, very significantly. And it just seemed, you know, I thought rather than go along with the regular program that I had scheduled to uh, work on this week, I decided that uh, maybe it'd be better if we just, you know, thought about what it means to be who we are, wildlife rehabilitators, in times like these. And uh, times like these don't come around all the time. And on the other hand, it seems like it's always times like these. So uh, we'll just uh, launch right into it here. So uh, I'm, you know, at Humboldt Wildlife Care Center, and we are open, as I imagine most wildlife rehabilitators still are, providing the essential service of caring for your region's injured and orphaned wild animals. And, uh, you know, obviously this uh, viral outbreak pandemic is impacting us and how we get our work done. And not just how we get our work done, but what the nature of our work even is. I don't know what everybody else is experiencing in other rehab facilities around the state and around the country particularly, but one thing that I am, one of the things we're experiencing here is a definite sudden drop off in telephone calls. And we are also experiencing a uh, drop off in um, financial support. And I think that, you know, I think we're all uh, predicting that for ourselves to some extent. Um, first of all, the, for the vast majority of us, wildlife centers uh, and wildlife hospitals, our patients are brought in by a uh, free-moving people. You know, people at the beach, people at the park, people walking on the sidewalk, people at the grocery store. Uh, these are the people who, f- these are, that's who finds wild animals and uh, make sure that they get help. So less people out walking around and the less, uh, less wild animals will be found and we are of course going into baby season and that I don't know that would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't deeply concerned about what's going to happen to wild babies and orphans and trouble and um, I guess we'll just have to see what happens and the same thing is true for money we don't really know what's going to happen what we do know is a lot of people are not working and most of us are how do you say uh, well you know we operate our clinics on shoestring budgets and some may have reserves that can get them through a difficult time um, and others may not and when you do not that does uh, create a certain level of stress now you know, I don't want to uh, overplay how much 
uh, wildlife rehabilitators are going to go through over the next period. I mean, as people, as people in a society that's going through, you know, spasms and uh, turmoil, such as we all are right now, certainly. But as wildlife rehabilitators, a lot of these um, issues are, they're just going to be larger versions of ones that we already have. It's uh, commonplace. The people go through their trials and tribulations without a second thought to the wild animals. I was just before starting to, uh, you know, record this, I was remembering the war movie, World War II movie, Thin Red Line, that came out in 1998. Terrence Malick was the director, and there was a scene. And every, every, um, every man in Hollywood wanted to be in that movie, it seemed like, um, so that they could have a chance to get shot and die on camera, as uh, young boys and men apparently love to do all the time is have a death scene. So there's a lot of death scenes. But one of the death scenes that was most striking um, was during a battle, and the camera just for a moment lingered in the grass on a what appears to be a movie version of a freshly hatched bird who is not going to get the care he needs because his nest and his whole habitat is being destroyed by an ongoing epic World War II battle with boots on the ground running and shells slamming into the hillside. And in that moment, you're like, that's um, about as certainly many species were targeted on purpose. Eskimo curlew, bison, auklets, great auk, passenger pigeon. How many more animals are just thoughtlessly killed? Well, we all know the answer to that question because we're wildlife rehabilitators and we know what goes on. And that's what we, that's where we work. Uh, you know, in the margins, like the shoulder of the highway is a margin. And on the margins, you know, it's always a war against wildlife. So we are still in that space now. And the COVID-19 sweeping across our population is, uh, you know, it threatens us in circumstances, but in kind, it's something that we're just going to have to, you know, Except when people are scared, other forms of life often vanish from their point of view. As an example, I was looking at that scene from that movie that I just mentioned, Thin Red Line, and uh, it was a YouTube clip that I was looking at. And as you can imagine, um, if you spend any time looking at YouTube clips, one thing you know is that you shouldn't really read the comment section, but I did. And somebody complained that that baby bird was killed. Well, you know, I don't actually know the story about that, and I'm not learning anything new from YouTube clip, YouTube comments. But um, somebody complaining about that idea was met with someone who said who cares it's just a one baby bird and they were making a great movie that is you know fantastic and epic and boom and so on and while most people maybe wouldn't be so willing to uh voice that opinion especially if they maybe they have it and don't even know they have it 
when I was in Louisiana in 2005 after Katrina, there were um, oil spills all over the state and the um, Gulf of Mexico caused by that hurricane, of course. Um, tanks full of oil just disappeared. I mean, the tank was gone. All that was left was the footprint of the tank on the ground, and they were those tanks were holding millions of gallons of oil. So it's um. So I was there for that oil spill response, and I was working with uh, another uh, rehabilitator and spill responder out of Texas, uh, Judy Phipps, who, by the way, was is awesome to work with. And um, if you ever get the chance, take it. But if you, uh, so we were looking around for oiled birds and, you know, the devastation that we were working in was pretty extensive. Um, we were definitely, it was the aftermath of a hurricane. An interesting side observation about hurricanes is that they wreak havoc, but unnatural items like bayous and trees, the havoc still looks natural. But on the human-built world, the havoc is anything but. Uh, gas stations literally flipped upside down. Giant boats sitting up on highways. I, we were walking around along a levee one day, and just I found television sets and refrigerators, uh, a box of red staple guns, just everything in the world that you could imagine laid up against this levee. Uh, mallard decoys by the scores, a casket upside down and just floating there, it seemed, perched on the side of this levee. It was, uh, you know, it was a constant exposure to just basically uh, everything, as my great-grandmother would have said, being scattered from hell to breakfast. But in any case, what happened next, or the point of the story, is that we... Uh, came upon this older gentleman who was came out of his trailer when we were walking through a, a trailer court and uh, that was right next to a bayou and there was there was some houses missing there were stairs to something that had been on stilts and the stairs were still there but the house was gone you know there was this fair amount of you know mayhem visited upon this uh, community uh, trailer court. The older gentleman was uh, came out and asked us what we were doing, and we said, "Oh, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're looking out for uh, any wildlife that was uh, impacted by the oil that was spilled. We're looking for oiled birds and you know other animals." And he was instantly enraged he was you're looking for birds when there's so many people suffering they've lost their homes and you're out looking for birds and he was really um quite distraught that we would um consider an injured or dying bird as worthy of attention at a time such as that But if we come to a situation 
where the virus's impact, besides for these shelter-in-place uh, orders and social distancing, aside from all of that, if we come to a place where people are getting sick in large numbers and our hospitals are overwhelmed as they are in other countries, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how our wild baby season is going to be impacted. What we do know is, is that it will not be business as usual. Right now at uh, Humboldt Wildlife Care Center, we are running on a very skeleton crew. Uh, myself, my assistant, and two part-time people so that we each get to have somebody while we're at work with us and no volunteers, no interns. Right at the moment, this isn't that much of a hardship because, well, like I said, the phone has basically stopped ringing. But wild babies are coming, and, you know, we treat typically six, seven hundred animals a year between the months of, you know, May and September. And we don't do that just with a couple of people. We do that with a staff of volunteers. And so, uh, yeah, definitely concerned because we don't know when this is going to end, when it's going to lift. And those are the conditions in which we find ourselves working these days. Safety at work is always a major concern. Zoonotic illness is a uh, constant and regular threat and a risk that we face just working with wild animals who are sick. So to a large extent, we have some skills that are actually really good to serve us at a time such as now, like since we are not staying home. I mean, we, we are going to our clinics and we do meet members of the public to receive animals during this time, and we will continue to receive animals during this time. And, you know, so our uh, sanitizing skills and our regimen of washing hands and our uh, consideration of cleaning housing between patients, all of these things are going to be very useful to us and um, and I'm gonna mention something which you know I'm not a uh, occupational safety expert you know other outside of what I know about you know my own little clinic and you know then the general principles of zoonotic illness and stuff like that but there is uh, you know a pretty thorough document that you can use and I do recommend it. So I'll, there will be a link to it on the blog post that this podcast is associated with. And you should be able to get that link there. But it's to the World Health Organization's PDF on preparing your workplace for uh, a pandemic. And it's, you know, everything from wash stations for your hand washing stations to what, you know, pro what, what practices to discard and what to continue to use, you know, um, 
disinfectants, things like that, and it'll give you, you know, clear recommendations. And I can tell you that while every one of us wants to be as responsible to the earth as possible while doing wildlife rehab, even though, Lord knows, it is uh, quite the conjury that to save wild animals, we must buy PVC, polyvinyl chloride, um, parts and things like that. It is definitely a frustrating aspect of the modern world, but also there is good disinfectants. So make sure that you're using something that is rated and, you know, warm soap and water is fantastic. And oh, by the way, I did see a short clip of Michael Stipe of REM uh, offering advice for staying healthy. And he suggested that Happy Birthday is a very depressing song to sing twice to accomplish 20 seconds washing hands and that there's so many better songs than that. Um, so just to enjoy those other songs. And I, I, I guess I'm basically with him on that. Um, I would rather count to 20 with Mississippis between them twice to get to 40 seconds than sing Happy Birthday. So in any case, that's just an aside. But your safety is not an aside. And so the World Health Organization has materials, and I do recommend, you know, look, looking at them. And if you don't have, if you're listening to this for some reason, and you don't have access to just looking at that link and clicking on it, then I can just tell you that if you Google World Health Organization, if you Google WHO, workplace safety, uh, COVID, you will get right there. It'll be the number one thing that you hit. So um, I recommend doing that. I don't know how the money is going to work. I guess we know none of us know how the money is going to work. Um, I think that in times like this, it'll be really important for us to, you know, reach out to each other just to check in and see how things are going. And somebody may have an idea for raising funds that actually does an excellent job of keeping us all afloat during a bad time um one thing for certain is is that i can't uh one thing i can't afford is to lose staff over this and if you have staff people that you're paying you probably feel the same way because this is not a profession that rewards very many of its practitioners with a reliable paycheck and if you have a reliable paycheck you probably want to keep it especially if it's doing something you love. So I hope that people are, you know, I hope that we obviously that we are able to maintain our budgets at you know bare minimums and keep our keep everybody on staff and we get through this and on the other side and then we start you know gradually putting everything back together the way it was but it's really hard to know what's going to happen next after this because we Let me just instead uh, talk about 
why Bird Ally X was founded and what, in part, it was meant to achieve. Bird Ally X was founded 10 years ago and it has um, three basic components to its mission. The first is providing direct care to um, wildlife in need. And that, you know, um, is expressed in many different ways. And our second is producing um, educational material for our colleagues. So such as, you know, uh, books about uh, practices in wildlife rehab, such as our Introduction to Aquatic Bird Rehabilitation Manual, and various kinds of, you know, posters and pamphlets that we produce, and workshops also that we are constantly developing so that we can take them out, take them to symposiums and conferences and stuff like that. And the third um, aspect is uh, community outreach, education, and advocating um, to our communities on behalf of our patients. All three of those together are a critical part of why we founded. It's not just the, to complete those three prongs, so to speak, of the mission. It's also to make sure that the information that is already won, that we've already accomplished learning this, that it isn't lost. It means getting information as dispersed as far and wide as possible. If there's wildlife rehabilitators all over the world, and there are, then there will always be a place to store information and knowledge on how to care for wild animals. And books and posters and pamphlets and, you know, reference binders are all excellent tools. And we all use them and Bird Alex produces them even. And, but ultimately it's getting that information into people's minds and then into their hearts so that when they practice, they're practicing with it as part of who they are. Just like learning music, just like learning to play an instrument. When everybody knows a tune, that tune is not going to die. Think of one of uh, Stephen King's post-apocalyptic novels where people are like, you know, wandering in a landscape and it's 200 years in the future, but somebody still knows a scrap of Hey Jude. That's, um, that is the kind of reach that Bird Ally X was created, born, given, uh, you know, uh, a 501c3 and, you know, articles of incorporation to do, which is to think about how to get what we know now to into the future to a world that may no longer have centralized communications that may no longer be able to just email somebody and find something out because we have mounting catastrophes are all around us this covid disease is terrible and it is very frightening and for numbers of reasons um because we do have you know, the governance and the situation in our country right now is 
fractious at best and it does seem frightening to have a, a pandemic to be managed and dealt with as the, in the best possible way in order to prevent, you know, escalating, exponentially growing deaths. And it does seem that we're at real at high risk of doing a very bad job of that. And, and then after that will lead to what? We don't even know. But the point is, is that, and anybody that's ever heard me say this before, well, first of all, I apologize for repeating myself. But second of all, um, I think we all believe this and know this in our hearts to be true. That if humanity was reduced in population by 80%, and the only thing left on the earth at all that supported our life was some narrow band of land, you know, as far from the equator but not into the Arctic Ocean as we could get, and we were all just struggling to make it there in one epic post-apocalyptic movie of proportions the like nobody's ever seen or imagined. And there we are, ratter, tattered and ragtag, searching for a place called home. And then one of us finds a baby songbird that has just emerged out of the nest. Well, one thing we know about Terrence Malick's movie is there was no wildlife rehabilitators on that charge, was there? No. Um, because if there were, that baby would have been picked up and stuck in a helmet somewhere and carried back to the wherever they go back to at the end of the day and then eyedroppered with, you know, mashed up worms and or thank God in World War II there was no internet because otherwise the baby bird would have been fed, you know, cat food and eggs. But I get away from myself. What we do know is that no matter where human beings are, no matter what deprivations we endure as a people and as individuals, among us there will be wildlife rehabilitators. That's just part of what it means to be human. And that is the job we're doing. And, you know, right now you can go onto your Facebook and you can go into your uh, social media of any kind or just turn on the news and what you will see is, and rightly so, is um, gratitude being heaped upon grocery store workers and healthcare workers. And the terrible choices, the compassion we feel for the doctors in overrun countries who are making, having to make terrible choices that we all understand. But it's gonna be really hard as it always is, but it will continue to be hard and get harder for all of us who can't help but see the wild animal as deserving of care and attention in times of need and distress, the same as any other human life or any other life. that wildlife rehabilitators are just, you know, certain numbers of us are unable to walk past 
an injured animal without stopping to help, no matter how dire our own situation is. It's astonishing, and it's beautiful, and it's also natural. My father-in-law, who was one of the um, smartest people I ever met, um, his name's John Corsilia, and he's a historian who uh, worked for um, different First Nations uh, tribes in Canada. And he was talking with one gentleman on Vancouver Island who told him this story, which he told me. Uh, soon after we met about a uh, bear who had been shot by a human and was seen getting administered by another bear who had prepared an herbal poultice and was stuffing it into the wound. Now, I'm not talking about the efficacy of herbal poultices. I'm just talking about the drive to provide care. Um which is a kind of love and that makes it definitely seem like love is universal and I know that you know we all probably you know 20 years ago when they first started reporting that there wasn't enough mass in the universe to slow its expansion and that the, the expansion contraction model might not be accurate it might just forever expand maybe saw that as well love is like gravity and if gravity is not the victor that means love isn't either but we don't know that we don't know that love and gravity are the same We all know the stories of the red-tailed hawk that raises the red-shoulder hawk baby, or vice versa. Um, the incredible success of having wild um, birds foster young that aren't their own, and in some cases even from a different species, is uh, it's also astonishing and also lets us know how not alone we are. So when we're in the middle of being marginalized, as we trudge across the barren wasteland that was our own making towards some distant shore to the north or to the south where we'll be able to at least live in a temperate zone. As we're making that trek, you know, we can um, ignore the taunts of those people who find our, uh, our uh, propensity for finding uh, injured wild animals and providing care for them using our available resources. And that will always be the case. And we'll be able to endure their cruel taunts because we'll know that, because we know that we're part of the natural order, because we know that we have colleagues in this field who are not human. And that's a good feeling, and that's something to enjoy. and. There will. This pandemic does not undo the natural order, nor does it 
undo our obligations to Mother Earth. We find ourselves at a time when uh, here in California, I think this is true, when younger people are coming into this field suddenly. I was at the last symposium and I was moved really to uh, a great extent. I was moved to a great extent by the energy of the young women who were running the uh, symposium and the leadership of CCWR and um, and that was it was thrilling for me because one of my chief concerns is had been that uh, wildlife rehabilitators are an aging population and I that's probably still true and so in this particular pandemic it's a great concern to me that there's a lot of people who are at risk and maybe even more so because their commitment to taking care of wild animals in need um, is greater than their commitment to themselves. And I think that it's really easy to find people whose greater commitments are to their patients than to themselves. So that's not, it's both wonderful and it's also common. I know very many people who live that way this way. I think that if we um, want to see our field flourish and thrive, we need to make sure that we are protecting um, the treasure of our elder rehabilitators who have a wealth of knowledge, often um, stored very safely in their own minds. Um, and we need to talk, and we need time with them. All of us pass. And then sometimes we've written journals, and those are wonderful. But the knowledge that's handed down from one generation to another directly is priceless and it is um, only available while it is and so let's just make sure that we're taking care of everybody and if you know a rehabilitator in your area that is in the more vulnerable set of uh, demographic you know us old people um, it would be uh, awesome to check in and see if there's things you can do to support them in making sure that they have what they uh, can do to protect themselves, especially if they're still working, especially if you're still working. Listen, all my friends who are over 70, if you're still working, take care of yourself. Wear a mask. Please. Um, so here we go into this time, and we don't really know what's going to happen next. 
and let's hope that social distancing works. What would be fantastic is to find out that it all was for nothing because it wasn't for nothing because it worked because we flattened the curve. And yes, people got sick, and yes, people got very sick, and yes, some people died, but we didn't overwhelm the systems. And we didn't overwhelm our capacity to care. All of us, uh, whether we rehabilitate wildlife or not, although probably most of us here um, inside these headphones are uh, wildlife rehabilitators but or at least have a deep abiding interest in the field to um, still be here um, a simple etiquette on what we do in the face of a global pandemic that requires extreme measures to stop the spread We don't have much but um, historical tales of the Spanish flu and novels and science fiction and uh, movies. And in the, they're rarely um, encouraging. But what we're going to find out now is what the real story is because we're all going to live it. And I hope that we uh, completely avoid the collapse of civilization and the crushing of buildings and airplanes falling into the sea that um, seems to inevitably happen when Hollywood tells this story. But when we tell this story ourselves, when we write it for ourselves, it's going to be what we do as people. And what we do as people is always our choice. You know, we already are faced with enormous uh, obstacles and disasters, as I mentioned before, and as we could talk about all um, evening. And this is another one of them. It's completely frightening. And it's also something that we are going to master. And we're going to write an etiquette for how you get through this. For how you treat your neighbor. From bumping elbows instead of shaking hands. To leaving a power tool that you sanitized on their back step. So that they can borrow it for a project that they needed. And it'll be like you saw them. But you won't. And then they'll come out and then with gloves they'll tenderly pick it up. And they'll be like they see you. And then this will be over. And we'll have a lot of work to do. Taking care of the people that took care of the people. Okay. So, uh, for all of us. Wildlife caregivers. Human health workers. Grocery store operators, hardware store shelf stockers, everybody that's helping us get through this right now. Uh, thank you for doing essential work.
and for revealing you how essential you are. And, uh, and uh, I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. been listening to New Wild Review, Volume 1, Episode 5, Wildlife Care with the World Upended. New Wild Review is a project of Bird Ally X, and it is, generally speaking, produced, written, and um, recorded by me, your host, Monty Merrick. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Bird Ally X, Humboldt Wildlife Care Center, and the work that wildlife rehabilitators do, please go to our website, www.birdallyx.net. Uh, there's links there you can click on. We do not have volunteer opportunities available at this moment, but we do have a solid need for your financial support, and anything you can give is going to help. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for your love of the wild. Thank you.